sweet. Okay, so the Bible reading today um, is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse uh, all the way through chapter 1 and then 2 to verse 10. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zuphite, from the, king, uh, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb because the Lord had closed uh, her rival, oh, sorry, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Now, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? When they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him, give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up to, with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought uh, the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, 
and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I will give him to the Lord. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with the princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On him he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by the strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Thanks so much, Gib. It's uh, great to hear you read the Bible this morning and a uh, lovely head of hair you've got there, mate. You'd be pleased to know there's no dandruff at the top or at the back at all. You're looking very good uh, this morning there. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive in uh, to God's word. Please join me. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you for uh, our time uh, in Jonah and thinking about the 12 minor prophets and we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you'll teach us from your word in 1 Samuel. Convict us uh, of your word here. Show us how you want us to live and how you want us to respond uh, to your word. And then by your Holy Spirit, uh, help us to respond. Lord, we pray uh, for wisdom uh, as we look for leaders to follow and consider those we are following. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we all are. Uh, You are. I am. We all are. And we all are constantly. Uh, I might add, we all are looking for a leader and we all are following leaders and we all are making judgment calls on the leaders that we already have. Now more than ever, some of our leaders of our country and our state are kind of right in our faces due to this pandemic that's going on uh, as we receive our daily briefing from Gladys. And you may have just been aware that I wrote this earlier in the week and sadly, Gladys isn't our Premier anymore. How quickly and sadly things can change. And friends, we need to pray for Gladys and we also need to pray for uh, the Liberal Party as they look for a new leader, uh, a wise and just leader to lead our state. Our governmental leaders have never been under closer scrutiny. Who are we following? Who are you following? in your work or sporting career, in your parenting, in your friendship circles at school or uni? Who are you following in your Christian walk? Are they a worthy leader 
or are they just leading you astray? It's an important question, and there are bajillions of books, bajillions, dedicated to becoming a great leader, but there's few books dedicated to finding great leaders and how to follow great leaders, how to pick a leader. Uh, 1 Samuel places before us three great leaders, three great leaders, that's an interesting thing, three great leaders and one rubbish leader. And I'm going to leave it to you to work out which is which. I've just mentioned four leaders there and there's three crowns on the title page, tricky. The book of Samuel takes us back more than 3,000 years to around 1050 BC. Uh, the context for 1 Samuel is, of course, the story of the judges. In the Bible, you have the lovely story of Ruth, uh, just before uh, 1 Samuel, which is a beautiful read, but the kind of big context uh, for 1 Samuel is the book of Judges. There's been 200 years of massive social upheaval and, to be honest, uh, anarchy in Israel. They are leaderless. Joshua led the Israelites into the land of Canaan, but after Joshua's time, no real leader could be found. In the book of Judges, leaders came and went, most drastically inadequate, all found wanting in the end. Israel is in chaos and turmoil as it remains leaderless. Hence the title for our sermon, looking for our sermon series, uh, looking for a leader. The Bible in general, and one Samuel most certainly, asks us the question: What does God have to do with leadership? What difference does God make to the kind of leader I should be and the kind of leader I should follow? The book of 1 Samuel is going to tell us the extraordinary story of the leadership crisis in Israel, and God will often present surprising and unexpected solutions to this crisis, which is what he does. Ultimately, we'll see that God's answer for Israel turns out to be his answer for the whole world and for each of us individually. So at the start of the book of 1 Samuel uh, enters the ordinary and unassuming Elkanah, which brings me to point one of this sermon, which is entitled, Exciting Unimpressiveness. Exciting Unimpressiveness. Elkanah is a very ordinary man from a very unimpressive part of the world with extraordinary connections in the biblical sense. Ramathaim Zophim is not an important place. His father, grandfather and great-grandfather, hardly people of note. But for some reason, in verse 1, the order, author rather, the author made the effort to tell us that his great-grandfather Zuf was an Ephrathite. Thank you, author. Cool. Good to know. Well, I think he probably told us that because that would mean he had family connections with Bethlehem Ephrathah. And if you've heard enough Christmas carols, you'll know that Bethlehem is a town of very great importance. Look on the screen at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. We know, that is from the town of Bethlehem, that our Lord and Saviour Jesus comes. And later in 1 Samuel, in chapter 17, if you're keen to race ahead later on, not right now, uh, this term we will meet, um, this Ephrathite term, we'll meet someone else who's an Ephrathite, namely David. Very significant book, 1 Samuel, but we're jumping ahead of ourselves, so let's come back to chapter 1. 
It suffice to say that the very unimpressive beginning of 1 Samuel ought to cause the avid Bible reader great excitement because you know, don't you, that those in the Bible that look impressive, God humbles, and those in the Bible that look unimpressive, God does extraordinary things through. It's excellent news for those of us who consider ourselves rather ordinary. God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Unimpressiveness in the Bible is always exciting. Moses was weak and an eloquent speaker. David was ruddy and handsome, not really qualities you're looking for in a great military leader. The Apostle Paul was unimpressive and disrespected by the other teachers of his time, the super apostles. And God did wonderful things through these people. Not least of all, our Lord Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Yet God was pleased to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. So be excited, friends, as we first follow the story of boring Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives, which is exactly one too many. His first wife, Hannah, was barren. And likely this is the reason that he wrongly took a second wife, Peninnah, who had children. It wasn't right to take a second wife. I'm led to believe it wasn't uncommon. There's, enough, there's nothing more unimpressive in a woman, particularly in that time. There is nothing more unimpressive in that time for a woman than an inability to bear children. Women longed to bear children, and if they couldn't bear children, struggled to find their place in the world. Now, obviously, Hannah is the biological cause uh, for the barrenness because Elkanah's second wife is able to have children. It would have been a very sensitive and painful existence for Hannah, as it is for any woman who desires to have children and struggles. But again, friends, unimpressiveness in the Bible must excite us. Hannah was barren, like many others before her in the Bible. Sarah was barren, but God promised Abraham that she would bear a child, and she bore Isaac. Isaac became the bearer of God, blessing to the nations of the earth. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren, but Isaac prayed for her and she conceived and gave birth to Esau and, more importantly, as it would turn out, Jacob, the father of the Israelite nation. Jacob's wife, Rachel, too, was barren, but God listened to her prayer and opened her womb and she gave birth to Joseph. Joseph was faithful to God like few others in the Bible and the saviour of thousands in Egypt. Samson, from the book of Judges, mother was barren, but was visited by an angel. Fast forward 3,000 years, we find another woman who is barren named Elizabeth. God blessed her with a son, namely John the Baptist. Finally, a woman named Mary, who wasn't barren, but was visited by an angel and miraculously gave birth to the Son of God. God works extraordinarily through the unimpressive and ordinary for the good of Israel, and by extension, all in his kingdom. The lesson is not here if you're having trouble falling pregnant, just pray and God will bless you with a child. If you are, please do go to your Father in heaven who loves you and pray and ask him to bless you with a child. And he may or he may not. And we need to trust God in good times and in sufferings. And right now, I want to acknowledge those, particularly those couples, particularly women in our church, in our parish. I know of a few in particular at Gladswood Hills who struggled to childbear and they were faithful, 
faithful to God through that. They trusted God, they prayed, and they waited patiently. And by God's grace, all of Gledswood Hills uh, are now joyful and proud mums. And I'm sure at Harrington Park, uh, maybe at Night Church, there is another, similar stories. Women of faith, men of faith, who trusted God in their hard times in bearing children, by God's grace, in all the cases at Gleswood Hills, God was pleased to answer their prayers and they have children. That is not always the case, though. God may choose not to answer the prayers with a yes and for good reason. For good reason. In the case of Hannah, ordinary Hannah, God did bless her with a child who becomes a great leader of Israel. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Friends, the answer to all of our problems lies at the feet of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Look to him in our sufferings. If we insist on looking to the powerful, the influential and the impressive of this world, we'll miss God's might at work in his ordinary and unimpressive people. To find God's answer to the leadership crisis in Israel, we need to look to this ordinary couple. Well, three. Elkanah, Hannah and Penanah, who starts to take a back seat. They've come from a backwater town. Uh, Elkanah and Hannah have struggled to conceive. But to, it's to this couple that we find the answer to Israel's leadership crisis and ultimately uh, we see God work out his leadership in Israel. To find God's answer to the sin of the world, we must look no further than the little town called Bethlehem to a carpenter and his wife visited by an angel and a child born in a manger in the most humble of circumstances. God works through unimpressive, ordinary people. Which brings me to my second and final point. God cares for his ordinary people. God cares for his people. Why is it that God allows Hannah, who he supposedly cares for, to endure such misery at the hands of her rival. Does God really care about her? Does he really care about us? As we look at the state of the world, it's not hard to draw the conclusion that God is MIA or AFK or he snuck out of lockdown for a holiday against uh, health restrictions. But, of course, that's not the case. Of course it's not the case. It's never the case that God is absent from caring for his people. It is just the case that we don't understand fully how he is working his good in the world. To recap the story, Elkanah is now taking his family up to the temple to worship, in verse 3. Eli is the priest at the temple, along with his two moronic sons, Hophni and Phinehas, both about as useful as flyscreen windows on a submarine. Hananah would taunt her rival, it says. It calls her a rival in the text. Like I said earlier, precisely one wife too many, and we've got this horrible rivalry happening in their family. Uh, she would mock Hannah on the way up to the temple and cause her great distress. Presumably she's mocking Hannah for going to the temple to make sacrifices of thanks to God when she had nothing to be thankful for because she didn't have a child. Presumably that's why Penanah is mocking her. Understandably, Hannah felt deep hurt and she wept. What is clear is that Elkanah loves his wife, but he wasn't really able to console her uh, with his words. I, I think his words there are not a bad husband moment. 
I think he really does love his wife. When he says, you know, oh, come on, you've got me. What more can you want? Um, I don't think <laughs> that's kind of how he means it. I think he's saying, you know, Hannah, we have one another. Um, please don't be sad. But he can't really console her. And I want to pick up from verse 9, if you want to grab your Bible, if you put it back down, verse 9. Once when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. So Hannah's at the meal, which is a good sign. She's able to sit uh, with the family and have a meal. Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but... Give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head, which is what happens with Nazarites who are dedicated uh, to the Lord's service. They don't uh, shave their head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Israel observed, Israel, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Oh, well, Eli answered. In that case, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. In her desperate state, Hannah sets a great example to us all by throwing herself upon the mercies of of the God who can do immeasurably more than we ever hope or imagine. And fairly dim-witted Eli sees her mouth moving and jumps to the conclusion that she's drunk. She wasn't drunk. She was faithful and prayerful. <laughs> Hannah knew that God loved her. And it was this knowledge that led, to her, led her to act differently to both her rival and her husband. Her rival just poked fun at her uh, for not having her baby. Her husband tried to reason that, oh, you know, we... We've got good things. But Hannah, Hannah prayed. Knowledge of God's great care for her led her to pray. And this, you could say, is the logic of faith. To know that your suffering has ultimately come from God, who is sovereign, we know that as Christians, that everything comes from God, the good, the bad, comes from the hand of God. He is sovereign. This could lead us to a kind of fatalism. If God's sovereign, who am I to do anything but to passively accept my lot? What's the point in praying? This is just how it is. But that's not the logic of faith. Alternatively, alternatively the logic uh, that God is Lord, even over our sufferings, could really lead us to resentment towards God. If God's done this to me, then I want nothing to do with him. And again, no prayer. But this isn't the logic of faith either. Faith in God means knowing and trusting God's sovereignty and his goodness to us no matter what is going on, no matter what he has given us. The logic of faith says that we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, good and bad, work together for our good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Therefore, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what we're experiencing in our life, it is God's goodness and love towards us 
that means we have this experience, whether good or bad. Faith in God, therefore, leads us in our troubles not to despondence and not to resentment, but to prayer, to the one who loves us and is sovereign over all things, including our situation, whatever it is. This is what Hannah understood. This is what she knew and this is what she did. And there's a real hint in the language here that she used, and you miss it a bit in the NIV, sadly. Um, she says in verse 11, Lord Almighty, if you will look only on your servant's misery and remember me, or affliction is another word that the Bible uses, the servant's affliction and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. That word misery can be translated affliction. It's the same Hebrew word that described Israel's affliction in Egypt that God rescued them from. Hannah begged God to do what she knew he had done for Israel already. What we know he did for Jesus when he rose him from the grave. He, she knew that he cares and he has the power to change her circumstances. And so she prays. She prays to him. It's not a vain shot in the dark. God, please help me. I hope you will. But I don't really know. It's faith expressed in the knowledge. In a prayer, it's a prayer to a God that she knows. She knows what he's like. She knows what he's done in the past. She knows he's good. She knows he cares. I think we can misunderstand Hannah as bargaining with God. God, you give me a child and then I'll dedicate him to you. Okay, that's the deal. Take or leave it. There it is on the table. No, you can't bargain with God like that and she knows that. She addresses God as the, the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts. She, she refers to herself as his servant. She knows her place before the Lord, a humble servant before a majestic God, loved by God. Hannah asks for what she deeply desires and what is logical to ask for. She asks for God's attention, his eye, his gaze, look upon your servant, remember me. But she asks knowing that he longs to look upon her, knowing that you can't actually escape God's gaze. We learned that in the book of Jonah, didn't we? In love, in submission, in genuine hope, Hannah, the servant of God, made a vow before her loving Lord. Lord, bless me with a child, and I vow to dedicate him to your service. Eli answered her, now that he'd figured out she's not drunk, he's a bit slow, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Little did Eli know that his blessing would seal his fate, and he'd be cleaning out his desk soon enough, and Hannah's son Samuel would be moving into his office and taking over as a leader in the temple. Look at verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. The word Samuel actually means to ask. And it looks really similar in Hebrew. And um, I'm going to show you on the screen, and I hope you can kind of make it out. 
There's the two Hebrew words for Samuel and for I have asked. They look really similar. And I thought that was really cool when I learned that in the commentary. So I wanted to share it with you. I thought you might think it's really cool as well. There's actually another person's name in the book of uh, 1 Samuel who looks really, really similar as well. And that's Saul because the people of Israel ask for Saul. Stupidly, foolishly, they ask for Saul and they get him. So, yeah, in the Hebrew, it's there and really clear and, and jumps out. We lose it a little bit in translation, as, as happens. We lose a little bit of that colour uh, in translation. Samuel's born, he grows, and as a young boy, his mother takes him to the temple and hands him over to Eli in service to the Lord. I'm going to wrap up here, sadly. Um, we're not going to get to uh, cover Hannah's prayer, but I'm going to, uh, once I finish wrapping up, I'm going to turn Hannah's prayer into our prayer. And can I commend to you to do the same tonight, to open up 1 Samuel again, to have a quick read through it again, and then to turn Hannah's prayer into your prayer. It's a stunning and wonderful prayer, an encouraging prayer. And I'd love to preach this morning for 45 minutes uh, and cover all of this in detail, but I'm not going to. You're probably getting tired. Live streams are not the same as being live. If you've got kids, you're really tired. If you've got toddlers, well... You've already gone, haven't you? I'm talking to nobody. Yeah. Um, I think the key idea in this passage is that God cares for his people, but he cares for them in ways we don't necessarily expect or understand. Sometimes we can't see how it is that God cares for us. And Hannah's wise in the way that she looks back at the way God has cared for his people uh, over time. It's a particular comfort to me to know that God cares for us in ways we don't understand in this chaotic time uh, in our world. And while we're in lockdown and all these things are happening, why? Why is God doing this? I don't know. But I know, particularly as I look to the cross, that God cares for his people, sometimes in unexpected ways. He loves us. He continues to love us. And he uses what is happening for our good in ways we can't understand because we're not God. And we ought to trust him in that. Friends, it would be easy to make Hannah the, Hannah the hero of the story. And I think she's worthy of great commendation. Um, but she's not the hero. She looks, she looks to God. She is a good model of faith in the, in the fact that in the face of adversity, she prays. That's her instinct, is to pray. That's a good example to us. But the real hero in the story here, as always, is God. God sustained Hannah's faith through her suffering. God answered her prayer in her anguish. God provided the leader through Hannah uh, in Samuel that his nation was desperately lacking in order to continue to care and to provide for them. Uh, in our certain circumstances, in our sufferings, when we pray to God, he may or may not provide what we need as individuals uh, what we ask for as individuals, but he's always providing for his people as a whole, for his kingdom. God's kingdom is growing through the power of his Holy Spirit in glory uh, to the Lord Jesus. How that affects our individual circumstances is going to change and is going to be sometimes hard to predict, but we can trust that God's, God cares for his people. And we can trust and know that as a fact when we look to the cross, and we see God's care in its fullest expression in the giving of his only son, our Lord Jesus, upon the cross, the one who died for our sins. 
Our iniquities were cast on him. And though we die, we shall live with our God who loves us and cares for us and will do so forevermore. Thanks be to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, I'm going to close by praying this prayer and I'm going to turn it into our prayer. Will you please join me as I pray? Loving Father and Almighty God, our heart rejoices in you. In you, our horn is lifted high. Our mouths boast over our many enemies, for we delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like you, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. We do not keep talking so proud. Do not keep talking or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For God, you know, and by you deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food. Those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she has many sons, pines away. Lord, you bring death and you make alive. You bring down to the grave and you raise up. You send poverty and you send wealth. You humble and you exalt. You raise the poor from the dust and lift the needy from the ash heap. You seat them with princes and have them inherit a throne of honour. The foundations of the earth are yours, Lord, and on them you have set the world. You will guard the feet of your faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose you will be broken. You, our Most High, will thunder from heaven. You, Lord, will judge the ends of the earth. You will give strength to your king and exalt the horn of your anointed. In Jesus' name, amen.